Welcome to Knowledgeable Aging. I'm your host, Jason Kotar. Joining us today to talk about the importance of quality sleep is Robert Taylor. Taylor is the CEO of TaylorMade Sleep Services and Consulting. He has over 12 years of experience in the field of sleep medicine. Taylor's passion for sleep therapy and education led him to start TaylorMade Sleep. His belief was that patients deserve care that's more affordable, convenient, and specialized. It's not enough just to diagnose a patient. Rather, he wants to focus on the all-around health with proper sleep, nutrition, and a proper mindset. How are you doing today, Taylor? I am doing great. It's uh, nice and hot here in Arizona, but can't complain at all. Can't complain. Uh, well, now you're just rubbing it in to a guy that loves uh, warm weather. That's not, that's not very nice. Um, yeah, I don't think you want to cook in this sun, okay? You can cook an egg outside. It's that bad. <laughs> that sounds good. We'll do that. <clears throat> next, next time, we'll cook an egg together. Um, hey, I'm with it. <laughs> okay, perfect. So for those that are joining us today, um, please type your questions in. Time permitting, we will do everything we can to get those questions answered. Um, Taylor, let's start us off. Why is proper sleep so important? Well, that's a great question to start off with. You have to honestly think about it. Sleep, proper sleep, literally controls every aspect of your life. I always tell patients, look, without sleep, 300 other things that are, are, are with you can go wrong, whether, you know, whether it's your mood, whether it's your eating habits, you know, whether it's exercising, things of that nature, your performance, if you're an athlete, if you're not getting enough sleep, you're sluggish that same day. Um, without proper sleep, literally our entire day is affected whether we honestly like to admit it or not but it for the most part our mood is the biggest biggest impact uh without proper sleep because we're always cranky grumpy lethargic uh so you imagine if you are waking up and and, and feel that way imagine how much work and how productive you're actually going to be literally being a mother a father or doing your job or any anything in life uh, so proper sleep is just absolutely key to, to everything, uh, that you do in your life. So you've seen and heard as far as the, the experts tell you how much sleep that you need. Is there a magic number that says if you get more sleep, it's going to make a difference? Um, so the, the deal with that is, okay, there is a, a such thing as getting too much sleep. Uh, where some people sleep eight to 10 hours a day, have to get that 10 hours a day, but they're still tired and fatigued and things of that nature. Sometimes oversleeping is actually a bad thing. I tend to, uh, since I've gotten into sleep and, and been in it for this long, focus more on the quality, not the quantity. Because if someone sleeps, uh, someone's quality of sleep is more deep sleep than light sleep, uh, then three or four hours, honestly, for them may be great. And in other instances, if you sleep eight to 10 hours, well, 75% of that time, you're probably in light sleep to where you're in stage one or in stage two. So you still have all your cognitive senses to where you're hearing everything, you can feel everything, you wake up really easily. Well, that's not good deep restful sleep, even if you're sleeping eight to 10 hours. So focus more on the quality, not the quantity. So when you think about sleep deprivation, what are some mm -hmm. of the causes uh, of sleep deprivation? Oh, several. Uh, stress. There's a lot of extrinsic things that go on in your daily life that literally wear a person down. It could be stress at work. It could be a bad relationship. It can be you have too many kids. It could be not being able to pay bills and things of that nature. Uh, so honestly, stress in any extrinsic factor is a huge, huge factor. But one of the most 
uh, common factors that is honestly, I wouldn't say unknown to a lot of people because a lot of people know about sleep apnea, but sleep apnea is by far, honestly, one of the most uh, important things that literally causes people to have sleep deprivation. Can you define for us what sleep apnea is? Yeah, of course. So sleep apnea is basically when you involuntarily stop breathing in your sleep. Most people seem to think that there's only one type of apnea. However, there are actually several. Uh, what people need to realize is that in order for it to be considered an apnea, you have to literally stop breathing for a minimum of 10 seconds, not five, not six, not seven, a minimum of 10 seconds in order for it to be counted and scored as an actual apnea. I've seen patients that have literally slept through and had apnea so severe that they literally stopped breathing for two minutes and not even feel a thing. So just because it says 10 seconds doesn't mean like every event's 10 seconds. Generally, the average one I see when people is either 20 to 25 seconds. But people who can go at least for a good long two minutes without breathing and not even know it. Um, it's a very, very scary thing knowing that you're drowning in your sleep. I always tell people to picture yourself literally with somebody sitting on your chest and just choking the hell out of you for 10 seconds and then letting go. Every time, every time, back and forth, back and forth. That's honestly what's going on with you while you're sleeping. And some people do it at least 30 to 40 times an hour. Is sleep apnea hereditary? So most of the patients I've actually dealt with always sit there and say, well, my grandpa had it, my dad had it, my brother had it, this and that. So although it's not necessarily scientifically proven that it is hereditary, I sit here and always say, look, it runs in the family. Uh, it's kind of like diabetes and high blood pressure. If, if everybody in your family has a history of it, eventually, most likely, you're going to get it, whether they say it's hereditary or not. So generally speaking, if it's in your family, you're probably going to get it. It mainly stems from a weak muscle palate. So gradually, as you get older, your muscles deteriorate. So why wouldn't the muscle that holds your tongue in place be the same, be the same way? It gradually deteriorates too as you get older. So eventually, generally speaking, everybody eventually may or may not have it. It's just when exactly will you get it? So... I want to talk about snoring. I always say that snoring is not normal. Snoring is a sign and a symptom that something else could be happening. Now, there are a lot of patients that may just have primary snoring. Uh, and, and truth be told, it, it may stress your bed partner out, and it, may not, and it may not have an effect on you. But at the end of the day, you're snoring because your palate is weak. So it's shaking like this, like just wibbling, like, like a little tuning fork. So that right there lets us know, okay, you're snoring. Now what we want to find out is, okay, are those snores leading to literally collapsing of your airway? Are those snores really you snoring or are you literally gasping for air? Are there different pitches and different volumes to it to where it's loud and then it gradually gets soft and then it goes back and gets loud and gradually gets soft? If that's happening, that's basically your, air, your airway gradually closing and then opening back and gradually closing and then opening back up. So it's always uh, an indicator that there's probably worse things on the horizon for you if you're snoring. 
So then does that mean that your tongue is actually blocking your airway? Yes, correct. Correct. Um, so you mentioned the hereditary part of it. So as we mm -hmm. age, what can somebody do about it? Well, first you need to be tested. Okay. <laughs> I always recommend everybody be screened and everybody be tested. I was tested every single year. Uh, the minute I got into the field, I, it was just amazing to me what happens to you while you sleep. And it scared the heck out of me. So every year I was tested, I was tested. Uh, and it wasn't until this year I was informed by my girlfriend that, hey, you know, you snore pretty good now. And they're getting worse. So I tested myself and yeah, I had apnea. And it was just like that. One year I'm fine, the next year I have it. Um, so I just always say, look, ask the right questions and always be tested. I mean, the, what's the worst that can happen? At least you know, gradually as you're getting older, you need to practice more self-care. Um, uh, sleep, for some odd reason these days, is, is something that we always put on the back burner, mainly because we live in such a go, 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 go society to where mentally we are basically brainwashing our body to where it's like, okay, man, I'm tired. It's just work. Man, I'm, I'm this. Oh, it's the kids. Or it's this. We make every excuse known to man versus literally asking ourselves, can I sleep better, to be quite honest? And then we also are so quick to take pills for everything to pretty much aid us in literally trying to get better sleep to where, oh, I, I'm not sleeping all that well. Maybe I need to take a sleep aid, okay? Well, maybe you could, yeah. It may aid you in sleep. But also, too, what that sleep aid will really do, it slows down your reaction time to get you to breathe. And it also makes your muscle palate weaker. So if you had mild to moderate apnea already, uh, and that was why you're not getting good quality sleep, taking a sleep aid like Ambien or things of that nature is gonna literally paralyze it to make it constantly collapse. And then with that chemical being in your body, it's slowing down your brain to make yourself breathe because your brain is basically operating everything, turn left, turn right, open your mouth, do this, do that, to try to get you to breathe, to try to protect you. If your brain is reacting slow, those minute and a half to two minute apneas can easily turn to two and a half minutes to three. So you had mentioned if you have a spouse or a partner that says, hey, you know, I'm, I'm having mm -hmm. trouble sleeping, <laughs> you're snoring, you may have sleep apnea, go get it checked. What if you've got somebody mm -hmm. that doesn't have, they live by themselves? And I guess what I'm wondering is, is it just because maybe you feel irritable, maybe you're not sleeping, that there's a maybe an underlying condition? Mm -hmm. Yeah, there are several underlying conditions. Uh, sleep apnea is linked to, golly, I mean, how much time do you have? <laughs> Let's do you it. Know, I mean, depression, anxiety, uh, memory loss, um, high blood pressure, low sex drive, heart disease, heart attacks, strokes, um, leg jerks, cramping, uh fibromyalgia diabetes makes it a lot worse i mean it's linked to so many different things at the end of the day if you're not getting good quality sleep you honestly know it you just and, and i was one of those people too you're just on autopilot you're buying time right now okay you're just found a new normal you got used to sleeping so bad for so many years that you don't even know what good quality sleep is and you feel that this is normal. So if 
if you're all honestly going through just the worst things in your life all the time, how do you really know what happiness is, right? Because you've never experienced it. Same thing with sleep. If all you've had is poor quality sleep, and a lot of people suffer from it from a young age, believe it or not, a lot of kids, teenagers, have apnea and have it severe, it's just in that case, they basically take their tonsils out to open up their airway, which literally helps them. But what if you were a kid that never did that? So all your life, you're tired, you're fatigued, no energy, you're lethargic, you don't want to cook meals properly, you begin to be obese, that obesity leads to diabetes, that diabetes and stuff like that, and all that other stress leads to high blood pressure. Yeah. You know, it's a, it's a chain of events. But what are you doing as these chain of events are happening? Diabetes, now you're on insulin, right? High blood pressure, now you're on medication, okay? It's, it's a placebo effect because if apnea is causing that, it's not going to go away. You're going to constantly have to increase the dose. So constantly have to do this and do that. And I've seen it on several different occasions. What happens after you change blood pressure med from blood pressure med from blood pressure med? Eventually, you stroke out. And then at that point, that's when a lot of people realize I have an issue with my sleep. It always happens that way. And what we want to do is try to catch it before it even gets there. So can somebody tell if they are experiencing light or deep sleep? Yes and no. Uh, some patients some patients just are light sleepers. Um, due to my experience in working in sleep labs, you generally get maybe two periods of REM. Uh, a normal uh, rhythm generally indicates that every 110 minutes, 90 through 110 minutes, you're supposed to go into your REM cycle. However, then that's what normal sleep. However, if you have some type of respiratory disturbance or a lot of apnea, your brain is going to kick you out of deep sleep to protect you. You may be perfectly fine in stage one and stage two. Your muscle palate may not, may not be so fatigued. You may just snore. It may snore lightly. Or you may be laying on your side or things of that nature. So you're fine in those lighter stages. Once you gradually get into the deeper stages, then that's when the chaotic events are happening. And when in those deeper stages, that's where you get the most restored sleep for your body and your brain to recover. But if, if at that moment you're not sleeping good and that's where the poor quality is, then that's honestly what's causing you to have all these issues and why you don't feel that you get deep enough sleep. A lot of patients will sit there and say, oh, man, I don't remember dreaming or I never dream. It's probably because when you go into REM sleep, you're only in there for 10, 15 minutes because your brain's literally fighting to keep you breathing so it kicks you out to go right back into the the lighter stages of sleep um it's just amazing literally what happens in the middle of the night and what work that your brain does with your body but you have to understand too if your brain is constantly working from day in to day out how can you honestly honestly feel refreshed What's REM cycle? You mentioned it. Can you uh, define that for everybody? Yeah, REM sleep, uh, rapid eye movement. It's honestly where you dream. Um, so when uh, when I worked when I worked at a lab and did studies, uh, you look at the brain activity. So uh, the faster the wave, uh, pretty much the more awake they were. The slower the wave and bigger, the deeper sleep. Uh, you get into. And then in REM, the brain activity is really, really thin, but the eye movements do this butterfly movement, just like this. And it's, it's honestly, when someone's in a really, really deep REM and, and getting great sleep, it's honestly 
for me, it's a beautiful thing. <laughs> it's a beautiful thing because one, you're not snoring, and two, you're in REM sleep. And a lot of people, like when they're in REM sleep, if it's good quality, they'll be in there for 30, 45, maybe up to an hour, just dreaming and, you know, rapid dreams. Uh, but yeah, every 90 through 110 minutes, generally, of your sleep, you're supposed to go into that cycle. Uh, that's if you're getting the good quality sleep and that's if you have no, really no extrinsic issues or any type of sleep disturbances that you're suffering from uh, during your sleep. You had mentioned dreaming. Mm -hmm. If somebody is not dreaming, is that possibility of sleep apnea? Uh, yes and no. Just because they don't remember the dreams doesn't necessarily mean they're not having them. Um, it's just uh, depending on how long you're actually in REM sleep is what really, really matters. But if a person has apnea, it's going to, they're not going to be in REM sleep that long. And then some people even have apnea, even in the lighter stages of sleep. So you can only imagine what happens when they get into the deeper levels of sleep. They're not sleeping all that well, but for the most part, um, for the most part, even when this is happening, they're literally having to get up and go to the restroom half the time too. So your brain's making you wake up, you're waking up, you're turning around, you're up for maybe 30 or 40 minutes, and then you gradually go to sleep, back to sleep. So it's literally screwing up your entire rhythm. Uh, now, do I expect patients to literally sleep all the way through, all throughout the night? No, that's honestly impossible. At some point, you do wake up to either adjust, move around, maybe see what time it is, or maybe even you know get a glass of water or go pee. Um, so that's actually normal. But literally having to pee like five or six times a night or you go to sleep, you wake up, you're up for 30 or 40 minutes, and then you go back to sleep. No, that's actually not normal. You had mentioned uh, getting up. So I'm going to talk about posture. Um, oh. you've, I imagine you've, you've read all kinds of things about what's the best posture for sleeping. Can you talk about the impact of posture on sleep habits? Sure. Um, I'm generally a side sleeper. Um, why? Uh, just feels good to me. <laughs> um, Generally speaking, when you lay on your side, gravity honestly can't take a hold of that muscle palate, okay? So honestly, since you're, we're looking at each other right now, if I'm like this, right, that muscle can fall backwards. But if I'm honestly on my side like this, it can slide slightly and shift, but it's not really going to all the way, like, completely collapse unless you have literally severe apnea. So most people instinctively sleep more on their side due to the fact that you know, they feel like they may breathe better or they feel they sleep better or their wife nudges them and says, hey, roll on your side because you're snoring. And they know when they roll on the side, the snores turn from severe to mild to moderate, mainly because that muscle palate can't really fall as much because gravity doesn't have so much effect on it. Some people actually sleep at an angle as well, too, kind of a bit more upright. Um, it does help. I mean, I honestly sleep with two pillows mainly because it helps my neck and shoulder posture and things of that nature. But to to each his own, to be quite honest, um, there's no perfectly set way of actually sleeping. However, I will say, make sure you have good pillows. Um, <laughs> good pillows make a huge difference. My pillows, those uh, those gel pillows, things of that nature that literally form and mold to um, your neck and head area to keep your spine aligned properly, that makes a huge difference because one, that alleviates pain, uh, and two, having a perfectly aligned spine 
AIDS and proper breathing. <clears throat> so you make sure I understood you. So when it comes to sleep apnea, is there a correct uh -huh. posture? Is it should you be on your side, or should you be somewhat, you know, like like that? Um, what's <coughs> the best What's the best sleep posture for apnea? Depending on how severe your apnea is, will depend on honestly how you sleep. Um, okay. I can't sit here and say that uh, you lay on your side, you won't have apnea, because that's not true. Because you can still have apnea, it would have to be extremely severe uh, for your muscle palate literally to you literally collapse your airway while you're on the side because you're not laying straight back. But have I seen it happen? Oh, yeah, several times. Are there lighter events that still cause the same or have the same effect as obstructive? Yeah, hypopneas are just as bad, which is basically 50 to 60% closure of your airway. So although it's not going to close completely on your side, that's what you actually may have. And then when you roll on your back, you have full blockage. Let's talk about men versus women. Um, hey. does, does, does one sex... Uh, is one sex more predisposed to sleep apnea than the other? The funny thing is, when, when I tell you this answer, you are going to be surprised. It's actually 56% men, 44% women. Uh, it's, it's a pretty, I mean, you, you look at that, it's not as, as wide a margin as you would think. A lot of women have apnea just as much as men. And I know from experience, ladies, you guys snore just as bad as we do. So stop hitting us. That makes me mad. <laughs> they are more women are more inclined honestly to get tested immediately and they're like hell give me the mask give it to me just give it put the mask on me i don't care and men unfortunately are the biggest crybabies when it comes to treatment and i only know this from experience because it's just i would always have these truck drivers come into the lab and literally cry about having to wear a mask the entire night and things of that nature versus females are just like they understand the severities of it they understand oh it, it causes this this and this screw it give it to them give it a mask and they take it now granted they always fit the smallest mask imaginable whether it's comfortable or not they're gonna wear it with men it's uh it's it's, it's tough the funny thing with women though with men, when, when they have apnea they may not necessarily snore as loud um as men men it, you know obviously if you snore it's a good indication you have it with females not so much they may they breathe heavier um but they may not have snores so when i talk to a lot of female patients it's like well you know i don't snore this and that i'm like yeah you probably don't snore but labored breathing is a good indication too that you also may have apnea and also too with females they're always in mommy mode right so their sleep deprivation could be based on the fact that they were always the ones getting up, managing the kids. They're always the one waiting up for the kids. They're always the one making the meals and things of that nature. There's a lot of things that women do, and God bless them. God bless the women. Love them to death. But always in mommy mode, and they always find the excuses that are there, or hidden excuses that maybe prevent them from really looking at their sleep because they're always on the go, always soccer practice, this and that, and picking up laundry and doing all this other stuff like that to where they literally basically say every day, hey, I'm just tired and fatigued because I do so much versus you're seriously not sleeping well. And if you're not snoring loud enough for your bed partner to hear you, to warn you about it, it's kind of hard sometimes for them to actually know without you literally diving deep and asking them the right questions. Just literally asking the question, how are you sleeping? It's a simple question, but
But honest to God, it'll give you 300 answers. And in between them 300 answers, you'll figure out exactly what's really going on. Staying with the, uh, the men and women, so how does sleep apnea affect women's hormones or men's testosterone, testosterone levels? Well, okay, so it's a double-edged sword with women. If they have a hormonal imbalance, it's going to affect their sleep, like, period. And then vice versa, if they're having sleeping issues to where they're not getting good quality of sleep, it affects their hormones as well. Uh, gives them high anxiety. They're waking up all the time. They're restless. Blood pressure is another issue. And then also you can throw in thyroid issues as well that always make you feel lethargic, uh, depending on what type of thyroid you actually have. But also, too, that thyroid can have you, uh, cause you to have weight gain as well. Um, so in my opinion, again, this is why I always go back to it. It's always just good to be checked. Um, because, again, with women, with go, 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 they block everything out. But having hormonal imbalance, literally can wreak havoc on a female's life, which is why now you have all these hormone clinics and, and natural pathways that literally focus just on that because that's how important it is. But even they say, look, we need to make sure you're sleeping proper as well because we can do all these treatments perfectly fine. But honestly, if you're not sleeping well, it's basically a placebo effect. We're masking what's really causing it. Same thing with men. We have the highest testosterone when we wake up in the morning due to good quality sleep. We're ready to go in the morning. We're restoring testosterone during the night while we're getting proper sleep. So what do you think happens when we're not getting proper sleep? When we're, we sleep for six or seven hours, but it feels like we slept for 30 minutes. Drops our testosterone level. We're not as potent and strong as we used to be. So then we go and get these testosterone injections, which, hey, they do help. Not gonna lie, uh, I've seen good results from patients. However, gradually, as you continue to do them, what happens with your body? It adapts. And honestly, you're still masking what caused the low T, correct? So if you're getting these shots and things of that nature, okay, that's great. It's gonna help you and this and that. But imagine if you were sleeping properly too, right? So it gives, it'll give a man, uh, I had a friend of mine who had uh, testosterone injections and how he described it is, he has good energy for three or four days, right? Depending on the volume of injection, three or four days is good and solid. But the other three, it, it tapers off again. It's because the sleep still isn't proper and this and that. So now he has to get probably get two injections a week versus just one to keep him right. Versus, okay, this one injection should be doing the trick. There's probably something else going on with you. And it's a simple question. How are you sleeping, sir? Period. If he's like, ah, oh, you know, been told I snore or I toss and turn a lot, I'm restless, have him test it. Done deal. Then at least if you fix that issue and he's having these injections, you're literally improving this man's life tenfold. What role does weight have when it comes to sleep apnea? Weight is huge. Uh, people that generally have big necks or just suffer from obesity most likely 90% of them have apnea. Now that apnea could be weight related or that apnea can be muscle palate related. The way we really figure out the two is, okay, get tested, right? You have severe obstructive sleep apnea. Uh, we do a lot of bariatric patients as well. So this is a perfect example. Uh, okay, so obviously they lose weight. They lose like 30 or 40 pounds, okay? So after that, we retest them. Did your numbers drop um, instead of 28? Is your AHI 15 or 13 or 12? Okay, great. 
your weight played a huge part in that. Continue to lose weight. Say you lose another 20, 30 pounds. Then we check again. Okay. If that number stays put, it's still at 13 to 14, even after losing another 30, 40 pounds, your weight contributed to it, but you also definitely still have a weak muscle palate. Um, so they go hand in hand, uh, but obesity is definitely, definitely a huge factor in uh, patients that suffer from obstructive sleep apnea. So what does, you said you recommend getting tested does it depend on your age as far as how often you get tested or is it the, the symptoms that you may hear about through us or what you read on the internet? Well, symptoms and age, it, uh, you know, gradually as you get older, you're going to need it. But also too, uh, the signs and symptoms. Look, we've, uh, why do you think Texas Children's has a sleep lab in it? Okay. And these are preemies. These are, you know, it starts from the minute you come out. Uh, so I'm not going to sit here and say target just a certain age group. No. Everyone should be tested. College students as well. College students are the worst because, I mean, I didn't go to college, but I know for a fact with all these midterms and things in the nature and all other stuff like that, it's literally hard for you to even get good quality sleep, let alone if you snore, you're still, you're going to be more deprived than normal. So I would say literally, realistically, uh, 13 and up, because I feel at the age of 13, Getting a tonsillectomy will actually work, and then your muscles heal properly and heal faster and heal stronger uh, as you're a teenager. Now, generally, once you get over the age of, I believe, 25 and above, I wouldn't even recommend that procedure, mainly because, yeah, you're going to go through all that pain. You're, you're going to heal. Your, your airway is going to heal. However, it's always been proven that maybe three or four years later, that apnea comes back. Um, just, you're just now giving your tongue a bigger hole to fall into. Uh, so I would, I'm not going to sit here and literally say just one age demographic, this and that. No, anyone can have it at any time, uh, at any juncture of their life. It does not matter. So talk to me about the test for apnea. What does that look like? Uh, <laughs> well, the traditional way of doing it is literally going to a, a uh, okay. So the traditional way would be going to a, a doctor. Telling them about your sleep, getting a referral, sending it to a sleep lab. That takes a few weeks to get scheduled. Then you go there. You'd be hooked to about 50 or 60 wires, uh, like to monitor brain activity, to monitor muscle tone, to monitor nasal, you know, nasal flow, which you'll have two sensors with there, to monitor eye movement, uh, two belts, uh, uh, limb movements, and a pulse ox. Uh, literally monitor. And then, oh, yeah, and then someone's going to watch you as well through a camera. Uh, not going to be in the room with you, um, but they watch you the entire night. Uh, out of the six hours that they record, they generally need two, two and a half hours to literally get an idea, idea of, one, if you have apnea, two, is it positional, uh, and three, is it stage-related uh, to figure out, okay, you have apnea, this and that, and yada, yada, yada. And generally speaking, then you come back for a treatment, which is the CPAP which is they, um, they try to figure out what is the perfect pressure for you uh, to fix your apnea. Because if that pressure is too high, it can literally give you central apneas, which has the same effect as obstructive, which is basically your brain's telling your body not to breathe due to that air pressure being so high. It's kind of like sticking your head out of a moving vehicle. And at first it's shocking, so you stop breathing. It, it, you know, but if you just calm down, take a deep breath, and gradually keep going, you uh, gradually get accustomed to it.
But if that pressure is too low, you still have obstructive sleep apnea that you came in with. So generally speaking, it's, it's uh, the traditional workout is always a two-night procedure. And last question, what does it cost? Ooh, well, generally speaking, even if you have insurance, uh, if you have a high deductible, it uh, it can cost you about six to seven hundred dollars a pop. Um, you know, that's not including the doctor visits and things of that nature. You know, six to seven hundred dollars for the first night, six to seven hundred dollars for the second night, and then also too, getting a machine could cost you anywhere between sixteen hundred and twenty five hundred. Uh, again, even with insurance. Uh, if that deductible is not met, you're paying an awful lot out of pocket. And, and the process literally would take about three or four months uh, to, to literally get done, which, you know, is a bit crazy. But that's honestly generally the way that everybody goes. Very good. Well, this has been extremely enlightening. Um, <laughs> so how can people find you? Well, it's quite simple. Uh, well, before I jump into that, I, I just wanted to, because I kept saying it's a traditional route. So I kind of right. wanted to explain what I did, what why I started this company. Very Due good. to the fact that that was the traditional route, right? Four months, $3,500. It's an awful lot of money, especially if you need treatment immediately. So what TaylorMade does, we simplify it. Now, we do not go through insurance. We are a cash pay organization. Uh, however, you can be reimbursed by your insurance, but we just believe that doing it quicker and faster and making it more comfortable is better for our patients. So we literally have an online clinic to where patients anywhere at any time can literally contact us. You can be treated, uh, diagnosed, and consulted all in the comfort of your own home. You don't have to go anywhere. We have board-certified specialists on board. You don't even need to go get a doctor visit. We create and generate the referral for, for you. We uh, basically do a free initial consultation to even see if you need to have a sleep study done. Um, so if you're having issues and think that you may need a sleep study done, you can easily just give us a call or send us an email. We'll talk to you for a good 15, 20 minutes for free to basically help you understand why you need it and if you need it. And then after that, we literally ship a unit to your home that has only four leads. You ship it back. We get the results. And this is what makes it special. We give you an intern diagnosis and recommendation. And on top of that, we give you your prescription needed to put you on whatever treatment option we feel your insurance will cover based on that diagnosis. All for $350. You can get this all done in a matter of a week and a half versus three to four months. $350 versus $4,500. It's quite simple. So if you have any questions or anything like that, you can always go to our website at tailormadesleep.com. Right there, it basically says book online. You can type in your name, your number, your email address, and list your sleep complaint. That right there lets us know exactly what we're dealing with. We'll contact you as fast as we can, offer you the free consultation, talk to you, screen you, go down your history and things of that nature, and then educate you on why you need to have this done. You can also send us an email at tailormadesleepservices at yahoo.com. Same thing, name, number, let us know what's going on, why you feel you need it. You could just be blunt. You don't even have to give me your whole history. Say, I snore. I think I have a problem. Can you call me? Sundale will either email you or give you a call. 
if you want, you can give us a call at 480-524-8418. It is a phone that accepts text messages. So again, if you're having questions, send me a text message. Say, hey, this is Susie Q. I've been told I snore. Can you help me? And we're like, no problem. When is the best time to actually call contact you? We'll go ahead. We'll call you. We'll get your file together. We'll figure everything out. We'll explain why you actually snore and let you know exactly how that ties into every aspect of your life. You'll be amazed at what proper sleep can do for you, for longevity, for mental stability, for your anxiety, for your sex drive, for your future. I always say self-care is health care. Take control of your life. Stop letting insurances dictate every aspect that you do. Because if you do that, you're going to be on 32 pills and you're going to be seeing a doctor every week versus finding out if this is the root cause of all your problems. So visit TaylorMadeSleep.com, TaylorMadeSleepServices at Yahoo.com, or you can call or text 480-524-8418. We'll be happy to assist anytime, any place, anywhere. TaylorMade's got you covered. Very good. Um, so this webinar will be on our YouTube page. Um, go to YouTube, type in Knowledgeable Aging. Uh, I encourage you to subscribe. We have at least three live webinars every week. Go on the YouTube page. You can also find us uh, podcast. You can find us on uh, Spotify, uh, multiple other podcasts, Apple Podcasts. You can find us there too. Till next time, I'm your host, Jason Kotar, and this is Knowledgeable Aging.